Well, the day we live in, there's a great struggle that is taking place between employers and employees. And in some ways, it's, 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 just, it's just ratcheted up to epic levels. Conflicts rage constantly between workers and management, uh, where, where each side's accusing each other of being selfish and unreasonable. Employees, for example, I hope this doesn't, if you're an employee, I hope this isn't you, but sometimes employees, they, they want to do less work, less hours, uh, small workloads, fewer hours. They want more holiday time, more pay, more benefits, right? All of that stuff. Employers want more productivity. They want more profits. They want greater control in some ways over the practices and the policies of their company. And what do we, what do we see? And then you, you get, you get both sides. They want, uh, lower taxes for themselves while they expect greater government protection. But what's the heart of the issue there? What's the heart of labor relations wars, if you will? <laughs> well, of course we know it comes down to sin, right? But but which sin maybe might be the one driving all of that mess? Well, I, I wonder if it's greed. The sin of greed maybe could possibly be that primary fuel, if you will, that's feeding the uh, the, the mess, the inflationary spiral that's just become a part of our modern-day life. But you see, here, here's how it works, friends. When everybody wants more, prices then have to rise to pay for what people want. And so as prices rise and money becomes, therefore, uh, less powerful, you, you can't actually buy more, you buy less, and people still want, uh, you know, the higher pay and the higher profits, and and then the government uh, wants to jump in there as well, right? They they become heavily involved in red tape and subsidies, support, you name it, and then you get taxes, and then uh, national debt on top of that, and, and then, uh, oh, do you see the the vicious spiraling effect going on here, and, and then then sometimes you get a uh, you know a COVID uh, pandemic, for example, and then governments like ours, you know, they just want to print more money without the backing behind it, and so value the the value of money is actually decreasing, and uh, and then people want more income uh, to make up the difference for the the value of the money, and so do you you get this vicious cycle going on. And then added to all of that is this uh, principle of uh, that I've read in economics that possession as or sorry as possessions increase, well, often greed increases with that because greed is a big ugly monster that can't eat enough to satisfy its appetites. It, it's it's like a blob; you just keep feeding it; it just gets keep, keeps growing and growing and growing out of control. Everybody wants more for less. And then you get this spiraling inflation and debt and taxation until cultures collapse under that. So some of you know, as I've said before, I've been reading the, the, the Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, a very famous, well-known book. And one of the things that destroyed 
the Roman Empire, well, they, they just self-disintegrated, and one of them was taxation. Not just the family disintegrating, but taxation was a huge problem. Government, big, just big government just imploded on itself, and yeah, it was a, it was a mess. But how are such seemingly then irreconcilable problems to be resolved, to be solved? Well, uh, you get all kinds of interesting ideas. See, if you throw God out and you throw the Bible out, you get all kinds of interesting things, don't you? Uh, in New Zealand, we uh, one of the ways that our New Zealand cultures try to resolve this is, well, hey, let's go down the road of socialism, uh, which is not which is not far from Marxism, by the way. Uh, Karl Marx certainly rules the world from the grave in many ways. But, see, government has, has taken control of a lot of things. One of those is the economy. So greed increases. More government control than is required to prevent anarchy. And so then you get government, you know, let's give more power to police and militaries. And what are, how are we going to keep the mobs from rising up and burning down buildings and shooting each other and So more government control often happens. It's interesting, in the last book in your Bible, in Revelation chapter 18, uh, the, the Antichrist is going to come into power, the Bible says, and he's going to come into power through a great worldwide economic system. And uh, he's, he's going he's gonna to end up with virtual uh, a dictatorship, basically. A lot of power is going to be centered in the hands of a, just a few people. It's not a good thing. God didn't design uh, our freedom to work against us. Freedom's a great thing. But he's designed it to allow us to earn a living uh, so that we can provide for our families, so that we can give to other people in need. We're to be a service in loving other people. Yet as in every other area of life, man's deprived nature what it does is it takes God's good design and corrupts it and, and usually uses it to its own selfish ends. So what's the solution? Well, God's given us the solution. The, the solution, by the way, to, to labor relation problems it begins with God, and it begins particularly with the solutions that God has given. And we see them even here in Ephesians, by the way. How did the book of Ephesians start? We see God's glorious salvation. That's, that's where the solution needs to start. Not with government. Not, not with economy or whatever else. But it starts with salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And then we see the, the, in chapter 5 the empowering of the Holy Spirit controlling people in all the roles of life. And today we're, we're coming to a very important role. We're where there's, there's roles even within the workplace. So in every aspect of human life, God's plan is that there is authority and there has to be submission. There's both. And they have to be working together or it's just a mess. Those are the two pillars of biblical labor relations. There has to be authority and there has to be people submitting to that authority. Uh, to avoid chaos and, and, and anarchy, somebody has to lead, and there has to be followers. That's the way God designed it. And so the mutual submission that, that's coming from chapter 5 
verse 21, by the way, where it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Has that, that teaching there has now carried in in chapter 6 where we see the authority in the workplace has to be submitting to his, his or her role. But then the, the worker or the employee also must be submitting to their role. So God's given us the plan so that there can be peace and harmony in our society and in, the, in this world. But if we, if we don't follow God's plan, it's, it's a mess. It's chaos destruction, and anarchy. So let's take a look at what uh, God says here about the roles in the workplace. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. There you go. God's given us the roles in the workplace. So may I remind you, the key word here is submit. There must be submission coming from chapter 5, verse 21, which goes even back farther to the command of be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is driving, is the driving foundational part of all of the roles that we play in life. So here's your proposition, that God wants you to submit to your role in the workplace. We all have a role in the workplace. So there's there's actually two different roles. Let's start with the, the one that God starts with here. My Bible says bondservant. Some of your Bibles might say servant. So let's look at uh, the role of employees. I'll just put it in modern-day language for you here. Because most of you are not called a doulos. Right? Although when I was in, when I was in seminary, we, we, we jokingly went around calling each other, hey, doulos. That's just the, the Greek word there for slave. That's... We do weird things in seminary. But uh, it's, it's an employee in modern-day language, okay? So let's, let's just think about this. The, the, that Greek word doulos, or slave, is indicating a subjection. It's a, it was something that was usually a bondage. In biblical times, slavery was common and uh, sadly uh, sometimes abused. In both Greek and Roman cultures, most slaves, by the way, had no legal rights, And they were treated as property. By the way, there was was no such thing as a union for slaves. (laughs) They couldn't go to the union boss and say, you know, well, you know, my my employer, my earthly master is abusing me. Would you do something about it? It didn't exist. They couldn't do that. And so some people look at, Passages like this, and, and, and some unbelievers have serious 
problems with these sort of things in the Bible. And so they ask, well, um, you know, why doesn't the Bible seem to condemn slavery? Let me just address that before we get into specific roles to play as an employee. Yes, it's true. Scripture does not specifically speak against slavery. But having said that, let me I'm going to share with you a verse in the Bible here that, that does specifically speak against you are not allowed to kidnap anybody for the purpose of making that person a slave. Here it is. Here's what God says. Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, he says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. That's what God thinks about slavery. That's how serious he takes this. And by the way, why, why is slavery a sin? Why isn't it abomination? Society doesn't get to choose and, and pick, because it used to be common, right? Well, it, it's, it's, it's a problem, because every individual is very special, because you're made in God's image. We're all equal. So how can, how can someone who is equal with somebody else subjugate that individual and, and treat them like they're just a thing? Can't happen. New Testament teaching, by the way, does not focus on here reforming and restructuring the the human systems. By the way, that's not the root cause of human problems, right? You you can change the environment, but that doesn't necessarily change the human heart. See, the problem's internal. So so God knows that the, the real problem's inside us. So you can't just change the government or the social, uh, you know, economic systems or whatever and, and expect everything to go to a utopia. You know, it's going to get better because of that. No, it doesn't work that way. The issue is always the heart of mankind. And so if men's sinful hearts aren't changed, then they're just going to find some other way to sin. <laughs> they're going to find some other way to oppress people and just use and abuse people. On the other hand, God's solution here is spirit-filled, controlled people. And, and if, if this is who you are, then there's going to be a just and harmonious relationship amongst people. And it doesn't matter what the system is that we live under. So man's basic problems and needs is not a political issue, it's not a social issue, it's not an economic issue. It's actually a spiritual issue. And that's why a bunch of unsaved MPs sitting in a beehive can't solve our problems. It's never going to happen. And so let's see what the Apostle Paul concentrates on here. So there's a role for the worker, the employee to play. Let's see what God says. Number one. Employees have, sorry, are to have the right behavior. You're to have the right behavior if you're an employee because God gives you a command here. It's in the imperative when he says, bondservants, obey. In fact, it's a present active imperative. Continuous action. That's something you have to do. Obey is 
is indicating it's something that is an uninterrupted obedience on your part. So believers, that, that what, one of the things that means is believers are not to obey simply when you want to or simply because you desire to. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if you have a fair boss or an unreasonable boss. It doesn't matter if your boss is unsaved or if he's a Christian. You're to obey in everything at all times. There is an exception, of course, just as with all the other ones. The exception is when that CEO or that supervisor or manager or whoever, earthly master, instructs you to do something that is unbiblical. Then God gives you the right to obey him. He comes first. So my friend, let me ask you this as we think about this, because employees must have the right behavior. You must obey your earthly master. But let me ask you as you think about that, are you ready to suffer for your faith? There are many Christians around the world who have been suffering for many years now. That's just kind of normal in their cultures. Maybe not for you. But my friend, the day is coming. I think it's really soon. The day is coming when Christians are going to lose their jobs. Christians are going to be put in jail in New Zealand. All because you dare to stand up to biblical convictions. See, if you don't, uh, and and by the way, here's, here's the great danger. If you're in any form of government job, your job is going to go first. So by any government job, I'm referring not to just working down in Wellington. That would include if you work at a library, you work at a public school, you work at the post office, you work for Doc, or whatever it is, the LGBT community is after you. And if you don't sign up to their agenda, your job's gone. You, you see how that's going to work. So government, any Christian working for any form of government is going to be gone first. But it's not just working for government, because we've seen this in the States, where bakers, people who make cakes for weddings, lose their jobs. They're, they're gone, because they refuse to make a wedding cake for a homosexual couple. Their agenda is strong, it's powerful, and it's unrelenting. They're coming after you. Be ready, okay? So, my suggestion to you is if you're paid by New Zealand tax dollars in your job, that works hospital, by the way, is included. I feel sorry for you because your job's not going to last long. And the, the cancel culture is, is, is canceling out people in, uh, it's not just the Internet. They've gone, they've gone past that now because it used to be, they started on the Internet and they've taken over places like Google and uh, you know, Facebook, the, the, they've just, they, they own that now. And Christians have been canceled off YouTube. So it's, it's spreading, is what I'm saying. You need to be ready to suffer for your faith. To stand up for right behavior is going to be increasingly difficult. God comes first in all this. And so being a Christian, by the way, should always make a person better. You should be the most productive employee. 
You need to be the most agreeable worker. By the way, I've had all kinds of jobs over the year being bivocational pastor. It's been quite illuminating for me. One of the things I've learned is be careful of water cooler conversations. You know what I mean by that? Water cooler conversations, or where you know, we didn't have a water cooler when I worked at LIC, but uh, there was a coffee machine, and that was the, the most common place where people tend to congregate. It's like bugs to a light. Ooh! Okay, that's grumble about managing. Grumble and complain. I don't like this. That guy's an idiot. You know, he should lose his job. I'm better than that person. Don't participate in that. <laughs> so a Christian needs to be the, the, the doing their best with the abilities that God has given to them. See, a Christian shouldn't be doing lazy, bad work, careless work. You shouldn't be constantly complaining against the management. That is not what obedience looks like. And so if, if a Christian actually finds an employment situation that is intolerable, and you, uh, I certainly have, and you might, if you can't submit yourself to that employer, then go find a different job. <laughs> Quit. Look for something else. But as long as you are employed, you need to do the best work that you possibly can. That's what God expects of you. So that's number one. But number two, employees are to have the right perspective. So the right behavior is obedience, but notice the right perspective. Who is your boss? Well, I remember telling, when I worked at an engineering shop a few years ago, I remember telling my my boss that my real boss, the ultimate boss, I serve God. And that means you can expect the best effort for me. I will be honest. I will be dependable. I will be teachable. I will do everything you want me to do unless you tell me to do something unbiblical. And I'll, to the best of my ability, I will do it with a good attitude. All right? That's what a Christian employee should be like. But notice in verse 5, who are we working for? This is the right perspective. You have an earthly master, it says in verse 5. An earthly master. See, the bondservants or slaves here are to obey their earthly masters. And that word earthly there helps to give you the right perspective. See, while the authority and the submission relationship is important and certainly must be respected, it's only something that's temporal. That's included in the idea of earthly. It doesn't last. It lasts only in this life, and it doesn't apply to spiritual concerns at, uh, at any time or in, in all circumstances. There will come a time when you won't have an earthly master. So that's a good perspective to keep in mind. There is light at the end of the tunnel here. Number three, employees are to have the right attitude. Notice the right attitude is right there in verse 5, that you are to obey your earthly masters. How? How? With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, you're to have a phobos of your earthly master. A phobia. <laughs> it's interesting. That's the Greek word, phobia. 
So respect is the idea here. It's the same as fear of the Lord. Same concept. So believer's attitude here in obeying his employer is to, to be with, notice the combination, fear and trembling. And the, that idea, by the way, doesn't mean that you, you go coward in, in a corner or hide in the shower or you know, go, go in a closet and have your knees pounding together because I'm so scared. That's not the point. But the idea is that you honor and respect that boss, that manager, that supervisor. You're to, be, you're to be a person who is actually anxious to please that person, the employee. And so the place where a, a believer works is part of your field of service to God. And it, 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 you need to think of it as kind of like your mission field. So bloom where you're planted, some have said. And so when you, when you do your work carefully and respectfully, what happens is you, you end up being a great testimony for God to the unbelievers where God has put you. You're to be an encouragement to, to any believer, hopefully, in your workplace as well. And so remember, your ultimate, boss, your ultimate boss is God. Serve Him. But number four, employees are to have the right commitment. What is the right commitment? Well, carry on. It says that, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. In other words, sincerity is the right commitment here. Sincerity is a very interesting word, by the way. I learned that uh, the word, our English word sincerity comes from Latin. And in Latin, it's, it's two words. Sine means without. And Sarah means wax. So in Latin, it means without wax. And you say, I don't get it. Hold your horses. This is why you need to learn history. See, its meaning actually comes from the fact that in the ancient world, where making pottery was very, very common, it was a very important industry, making pottery. I mean, they would make their plates and their cups and their their jars and all this sort of stuff out of pottery. And uh, sometimes there would be dishonest potters who uh, had spent a lot of time making, say, a clay jar, for example. And because they were dishonest and and through the drying process, they recognized, oh, there's a crack. Oh, no, what am I going to do now? Am I going to be honest or dishonest? No, 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 I think I'll be dishonest and put wax in the crack so that uh, I can uh, kind of push this off onto somebody, and they'll never notice. (laughs) So that's where this idea came from, filling the cracks with wax. And so in normal usage, it it, um, might not be detected. But you say, well, a discerning buyer of of a clay pot, how would they... How would they notice? Well, here's what they did. My understanding is they would hold it up to the light. And the, if, if they could see light, then there was wax in the cracks. <laughs> the wax would show up as a lighter hue. And so good pottery would uh, sometimes be stamped with those Latin words, sine sera, without wax. It's kind of like, Kind of like what we have on some plastic bottles these days, BPA-free, right? You know, it just it's labeling what it's supposed to be. 
Well, God's saying, you need to be without wax. You need to be sincere. Don't try to cover up the flaws and the cracks. Uh, A sincere heart, by the way, is just somebody who is not a hypocrite. See, if you say something, do it. Your word should be bond. Don't be superficial. Be, Be genuine. Be somebody who is thorough. The idea is you do the work that you're assigned to do. You don't complain why you're doing it. You don't brag about your good job that you're doing. You don't criticize your other workers who might be a little lazy or very lazy. Don't be disruptive. See, God expects you to do your best. What what does Colossians say? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's the expectation of a good employee. But number five, employee, employees are to have the right motive. Who Remember, who are you really working for? Well, verse 5 says, you're to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Wow. So that boss of yours is to be treated like he is Jesus Christ. Whoa. I know he's not. <laughs> he's not even close. But that's how he is to be treated. And this gives you the right motive. Because you're not actually working for the earthly master. You're really serving Christ. So your primary concern about your job should simply to do, do it well for the glory of God. Well, how can we obey as we would Christ? I mean, that's, wow, that's really hard. Well, because Christ is both the origin of your obedience. You, you can't do anything without Him, the Bible says. But He's also the end. He's the goal of your obedience. So we do everything out of love for Jesus Christ. It's by the power of Jesus Christ. And it's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. He's the source. He's the origin. He's your power. He's your motivator. He's your everything while you are working. And that's the idea that Paul mentions, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, when he says, it doesn't matter even if you're doing something as simple as eating or drinking. So when you go have lunch today, and you have a drink of water, look at your glass of water and say, I'm going to drink this to the glory of God. And you you eat that yummy piece of bacon. This bacon is going to be eaten for the glory of God. When you go to work tomorrow, I am going to serve my earthly master for the glory of God. Everything is done for the glory of God. And then number six, employees are to have the right diligence The idea here is you are to be loyal. And if you can't be loyal, then you need to go get a different job, something where you can be loyal. Because look what what the Bible says here in verse 6. You're not doing this by the way of eye service as a people pleaser. Don't be a people pleaser. What are you to be doing? You're, you're, You're doing the will of God from your heart... You're rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. (laughs) That's interesting. 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure those of you who are employees, you, you've probably had a fellow employee that, just like I've had, I remember, like I said, I've had lots of jobs. One time I was working at Fonterra, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm working really hard doing uh, all sorts of things around the place. And then I, and then I, I, you know, I'm supposed to work on a pallet, and I come around the pallet, and one of my workmates is sleeping behind the pallet. And he was one of these guys, he would actually outperform me when the boss walked around. You know, he's bigger and stronger. And, but if I slept like he did, I, I don't know, we'd probably be equal. But the guy's sleeping when the boss isn't there behind a pallet. Oh, man, he, he's the best employee in all of Fonterra, you know, as soon as the boss comes. <laughs> what a joke. But a spirit-filled Christian is sincere. He, he doesn't have the, he's not covering up the cracks, right? So uh, you're sincerely obedient to your employee as to Christ, and you're not going to just be a people pleaser. It, it doesn't matter if somebody's watching or not. It doesn't matter if, if the CT, you know, uh, the, the, the CT television camera is on you, because you're really serving Christ. You're doing the will of God from your heart. So the faithful believer does not just simply do the minimum job required. Uh, you know, much less work only when, when the supervisor is watching or uh, maybe you want to be a people pleaser to your fellow employees. That's the idea of way of eye service there, when people are watching. Does your work level change if somebody's watching or not? <laughs> you don't, you don't want to be one of those employees that always constantly has to be checked up on. Because this person, God says, you're doing your work to the best of your ability, and it doesn't matter if anybody's watching or if the TV camera's on you. This person works just as hard when uh, maybe you might get passed over for a raise. Does your work level drop after the boss passes over you and doesn't give you a raise? And you think, what's the point? Boss didn't give me a raise. I'm trying to work hard, and he doesn't care. Some people do. You always work the same because you're really serving Christ. This person does not do a good job just to make a good impression on other people. It's not all about promoting your own welfare. He works diligently because of this very reason that says here, you're doing God's will. So bloom where you're planted. The, the last thing that God says here is that employees are to have the right outlook. You're to have the right outlook. Notice what verse 8 says. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. In other words, my friends, here's the point. God rewards. God sees even if the TV camera doesn't and your boss doesn't see you, God does. He can see in the dark. He can see behind walls and everywhere you go. And so if there is any reward for diligent work, God will do that. Verse 8 is telling us here that God's rewards are always something you can depend upon. They are always appropriate 
Of course, employers don't always do that. They don't always see. It's not always, they're not always dependable. They're not always appropriate. But God is. So, look to Him, not to your earthly master, for the right outlook. Well, as I was thinking through this, in, in my limited experience of, well, almost now 50 years old, approaching, getting too close, I was thinking, what, what, what might be, in, in my mind's eye, what would be the top three things that an employee, employer wants to see in an employee? Here's, here's just some random thoughts I've, I've thought of. One is, if you're an employee, be teachable. That, that's, that is on my top three list. Be teachable. Nobody knows everything except God. Right? The, the, one of the worst things that comes to my mind is these, these people, you can't teach them anything. You just can't teach them anything. They, they think they know everything when they know very little. And that's, that is the most frustrating thing. The idea is here, be humble in your work. <clears throat> I think if... Um, <clears throat> God's given me the the ability that I can I can I can almost go into anything and learn it, uh, even though I didn't know it before. I'm thinking of the, the time, for example, I, when I worked at an engineering shop. I'm not an engineer. I didn't I didn't know uh, anything in there, uh, pretty much. But I went in there and I just said, okay, I'm going to be teachable. I'm going to do my best serving God. I, I'm serving Him. This is His will for my life at this time. Okay. So so the boss says, become a plumber. Okay. Crash course in plumbing. I did that. Okay. Uh, the next thing I want you to do is uh, you're, you're going to be the stockman. Okay. <clears throat> Don't know that. Uh, crash course in being stockman. Okay. Did that. Uh, okay. Now you're going to learn spray painting. Okay. Didn't never did that either. Okay. Crash course on that. Learn that. Right. The the only way somebody can can jump into a situation like that and handle it without falling apart is you you got to be teachable. Some of some of you I've talked to you, you're like, the piece of paper you get from university is practically worthless unless you're teachable. Because a lot of times you go into a job, they train you anyway, right? They have to retrain you. They they gotta get the rubbish that the university put in your head or the school put in your head. And here's how we actually do it in real life. <laughs> right? That happens so many times. But if you're not teachable, forget it. You're done. Uh, number two would be be dependable. You know, don't be on drugs. Don't 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 get drunk the night before. You know, actually show up on time, right? I mean, there's there's so many common sense, rare sense. Be dependable. You know, you know, if you're not on drugs, you're not on alcohol, and you actually show up on time, you put in a full day's work. You're not cheating on the time. You're not cheating on your boss, and all that sort of stuff. You're, you're immediately in, in, like, pretty much the top 5%, <laughs> right? That puts you way above all the, you, you are a wanted person by employers. Number three would be be virtuous. Be virtuous, and, and by that, I mean, one of the, the common things is just be godly, be Christ-like, and included in that would be, of course, be humble, but be honest, one of the reasons we pay so much at stores is because of theft by employees. The employer can't trust the employees because they're ripping off the system. You know, it's, it's death by a thousand paper cuts, pretty much, for a lot of places 
because people are stealing the paper clips and the paper and the pens and uh, oh, I'll just I'll help myself to that thing off the shelf, and you know, the list goes on and on and on. Death by a thousand paper cuts, and employee employers are like, they got to tack on. It's what are the the statistics are saying? It's like thirty to forty percent of the cost is by employee theft. Sad. So those are my top three. Let's move on to the role of employers. This one's a little bit shorter here in our Bibles. The role of employers. See, the Christian faith does not bring about harmony by erasing all of the social or cultural distinctions. See, slaves are still slaves even when they become Christians. Masters are still masters, whether they're Christian or not. But what we do see is that the Christian faith brings harmony by, first of all, working on the inside, works in our hearts. Christ gives us a new heart, gives us a new motivation, not a new organization. So the slave and the master are serving the Lord. They're seeking to please Him. And in this way, then they're now able to work together for the glory of God. That's how it's supposed to work. So what are the responsibilities of a Christian master, or we'll call him in modern-day terms the employer? How is the employer supposed to fulfill his role? Here it is. Number one, the employer must seek the employee's welfare. The the God-given authority to the employer is for the purpose of serving the employees. Wow, there's a novel idea because God says in verse 9, Masters, you do the same to them. Do the same to them. You say, well, what does that mean? Do the same to them. That just means whatever the employer expects, desires, and wants, you do the same to your employee. Right? So in other words, if if, uh, the employer wants to be respected, show respect and dignity to your employee. If you want honesty, then be honest. (laughs) Right? If you want sincerity, then be sincere. If you want kindness, then model kindness. If you want love from your employees, then show love. That's the idea here, okay? And so if the, whatever the employer expects uh, uh, from the workers, then that employer needs to do to the employee. So masters have to serve the Lord from their heart, is the idea there, that if they expect the servant to do the same. So that's where it starts. That's where God starts. And so one of the greatest examples, I love biblical examples. They're, they're very illuminated. But one of the, the ones that comes to my mind is, you remember uh, the book of Ruth? Way back in, toward the beginning of your Old Testament. Well, there's a guy there that's actually in Jesus' lineage. His name is Boaz. And Boaz was a wealthy man. He owned all these fields and he had a lot of crops and one day the Bible says he, he went out into the fields. He was, a, he was a good employer. One of the things he did is he greeted his employees. He treated them as human beings with dignity. And the Bible says he's, he said, the Lord be with you. Good example, by the way. If you're an employer, show respect to your employees. Greet them. Know about them. He also, and, and they replied to Boaz and they said, the Lord bless you. 
I love that. And so Boaz was one of these employers who was sensitive to his employees' needs, to the workers there in the field. He showed mutual respect, and of course, his ultimate person he was worshiping and serving was God. That's why he was that kind of a person. I love that that illustration there. And of course, he ends up meeting Ruth, and uh, Ruth becomes Boaz's wife. And eventually from that, you get Jesus. So it's, it's a cool story. That's why it's in the Bible. But he was an example of somebody who showed, showed care, compassion, kindness, and love to his employees of that day. Number two, what's the role of the employer? They must not threaten. That's what God says. They must not threaten. According to verse 9, stop your threatening. Well, this is interesting because a Roman master didn't care about that for the most part. A Roman master of, of Paul's day had a lot of power. They had the law behind them in their authority. In fact, they had the power to kill their slave if they wanted to. Because the slave's just chattel, it's just property, not a human being. By the way, not many of them did that because their slave was worth a lot of money. That, that would be like um, our dear farmer friends here going and, uh, can you imagine uh, <clears throat> getting angry at the tractor and you start, you know, you get out your, your sledgehammer and start pounding on the tractor and destroy the, the tractor because, I don't know, you, you had a bad day, you know, bad hair day, you woke, woke up grumpy. You know, that'd be, that, that's foolish. You just destroyed the very thing that you needed to do all your work, right? That's dumb. The tractor's worth a lot of money. <laughs> so not many Roman masters would do that, even though they had the power to. Slaves cost a lot of money. And so Paul suggested the Christian master has a better way to encourage obedience here and, and service, and it, it did not include threatening them with punishment. What I mean, think about it. Let's say you go to work. What, what kind of a motivation would this be if your boss says, you know, if you don't have that job done today, I'm going to throw you in prison. Or I'm going to take your head off. Or I'm going to give you a knuckle sandwich. Or you're losing your job. Or whatever, okay? What kind of a motivation would that bring to you? Well, I don't know. It might work for some of you. But I'd, I'd much rather my boss be kind and loving to me, wouldn't you? God's saying, stop the threatening. It's not a good motivator. The negative power of fear could result in a worker actually doing less instead of more. It's not a good motivation, certainly not over a long period of time. Abuse of power is ungodly. Too many employers do that. So uh, far better would be have a positive motivation, like what uh, Colossians chapter 4 says, for example, in Colossians 4, it says, that which uh, be this kind of a, in a you know, in, an employer. He says, that which is just and equal. There's a, <laughs> there's a good model for you. So let a man share the results of his labor, and then he's going to be a better worker. He's going to work harder. He's going to be better at his job. Well, the third point the Bible gives us here is they must, the employer there, that is, must be submitted to the Lord. Many aren't, but that's what God says. See, masters, you do the same to them. You stop your threatening. 
knowing that He who is both their Master and yours is in heaven. You say, why, why submit to the Lord? Well, the ultimate Master is in heaven. That's what God says here. And this is, in other words, the idea is here, you're practicing the Lordship of Christ in your whole life. Now, we've seen this many times in the book of Ephesians, so let me remind you. The Lordship of Jesus Christ applies to the whole social order of life. A wife submits to her own husband, how? As unto the Lord. A husband loves his wife, how? As Christ loved the church. How are children to obey their parents? In the Lord. Do you see how this works? How are parents supposed to raise their children? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's all about the Lord. You're to be totally submitted to Him. Every area of life. And so slaves are obedient. Notice what it says in verse 5. As unto Christ. How are masters supposed to treat their slaves? As their master in heaven would have them do. (laughs) That's what it says, right? So Jesus, by the way... He, he said the way to be a ruler is first you be a servant. He who is first should be last, right? You, you see this, this ironic duct, uh, thing in Scripture with Jesus, don't you? And so the, the person who is not under authority has no right then to exercise authority. We're, we're all supposed to be submissive, even the employer. There, there's a role, a uh, God-given design role, even for the employer to play here. And so, and by the way, that explains why many of the, the great people of the Bible uh, were first servants of God. And then, and then we see God raising them up into their various positions. Uh, for example, Joseph. Jo- Joseph was a servant in many ways. Ever, be, ever before he became the second in charge of the greatest nation on planet Earth at that time, Egypt, Moses had to be humbled and taken out to be a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years before he was the leader of Israel. David also had to be a shepherd. Maybe we need to be shepherds. You, I don't know. You don't have to be. But looking after animals has a way of preparing us for leadership. Hmm. Interesting. I'd love to talk to you, those of you who work with animals. Uh, Nehemiah is another example. He became the king's cupbearer, and God used him to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem there. But even after a man becomes a leader, he, he still has to lead by serving. Matthew chapter 20, it says, Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That's the biblical model. Well, there's one more that God gives us here in regard to the role of an employer, you must not play favorites. If you are an employer, you must not play favorites. It doesn't work in any relationship. Right? Fathers, you're not to play favorites if you have more than one child. Right? That doesn't work. If you have only one child, you can say you're my favorite. But don't ever, ever tell a child, if you have more than one child, you're my favorite. Please don't be like the whole disaster with Jacob and Esau. It doesn't work in the workplace either. 
And you may not even say it, but if your boss acts like it, that's soul-destroying. See, what is the foundation here? Well, the foundation is God doesn't have uh, favorites. He is no respecter of persons, the Bible says. Because Look at what it says here. At the end of verse 9, it says, And that there is no partiality with him. He will judge a master or a servant if he sins, and he will reward a master or a servant if he obeys. So, if a Christian employer cannot take privileges with God simply because of his position, nor should a Christian employer play favorites with with people who are in his authority. And by the way, the Apostle Paul warns, uh, warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, to observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Good advice. (laughs) So one of the fastest ways that a leader can divide the workers and lose confidence is you play favorites. You show partiality. Just destroys the workplace. And so there you go. That's that's the... um, God's roles in the workplace. So again, I was just thinking, okay, what, what would be my top three suggestions for the employer? I gave you for the employee. I, I think probably on the top of my list is, you know, I'm thinking of all the very bosses that I've had over the years is, number one, be humble. Don't be proud. Whoa. Right, just just think of the destruction that happens in the workplace from a proud boss. Oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Somebody who who, who can't take any criticism, uh, won't listen to anybody. They they're always right, not teachable. Doesn't use the two ears that God gave them. Right, you're always wrong. I'm always right. How annoying and soul destroying is that? So be humble. Number two, be kind and compassionate. Know your people, just just like Boaz knew his people. And when someone uh, comes along that is not normally there, like Ruth, he immediately notices and he's like, who is that? I want to get to know that person. (laughs) I have a friend who oversees pack houses over in the Bay of Plenty, the kiwi fruit pack houses, thousands of employees, constantly rotating all the time. The, the guy's amazing. He knows all the guys who come from Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands and all these various cultures he knows. He knows what's happening in their lives, and he, he talks to them about their families. What? Hey, how's your family back in Vanuatu doing? Right here. Hey, hey let's get you a chainsaw so you can take that back to Vanuatu. He, he, he knows not just their names of all these thousands of employees, but he knows what's happening. That's, that's a great employer. That's the kind of employer you want to be. That's the one you want to have, right? And then number two, it's exa- I think it's exactly the same as the purpose of government where, when Peter says you praise the good and you punish the evil. That's the kind of employer you want too. You want the kind of employer that notices the good and praises you, gives you words of affirmation. And if that's your primary love language, you're going to eat that up and you're just going to... Man, you're gonna you're gonna want to serve under those circumstances, but you also want an employer who 
for me, I always wanted the employer to notice the guy sleeping behind the pallets and do something about it. Praise the good, you punish the evil. Anyway, those are my top three. So there you go, my friends. That closes out this section on the submission. How do we fulfill the various roles in life? And the only way you're going to do that is you have to go back to verse 18 of chapter 5. Your only hope of fulfilling these roles is do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the spirits. You must be controlled by the Holy Spirit, my friends. And so if, if you are one of these people who is filled with the Spirit, you're going to be joyful, you're going to be thankful, you're going to be submissive, you're going to be a good employer, you're going to be a good employee, you're going to have, there'll be harmony in all the relationships of your life, you're going to be able to work with Christians and non-Christians, and you're going to find it easier to work with anybody. It'll make a huge difference. So may God enable you to fulfill whatever role he's given to you and bloom where you're planted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, giving these roles. You designed them. You, you're, you're enabling us to fulfill them. Thank you for the instruction we, we have here of not just laying out the roles, but how do we fulfill these roles? Uh, so we've seen there's some serious commands here you want us to obey. So may we do this by your grace, uh, recognizing it's, it's all for your honor and glory. We're really serving you. We're fulfilling and doing the will of God, hopefully from the heart. So may you enable us to do that. And may we have great testimonies uh, for those of us uh, who especially have unbelieving employers. Uh, and we work with unbelievers, and we feel like we constantly have to go home and take a spiritual shower because of our work environments. Uh, may we be light. May we be salt where you put us. So we pray that you would protect your people as uh, we are in the world, but may we not be of it. So may we shine brightly, having glorious grand testimonies for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.